Good morning. This is John Richardson speaking with you from Toronto, Canada. It is Tuesday, September the 27th in the morning, and I have a fascinating return guest today, uh, Mishi Kwan, who is a First Nations uh, lawyer, LLM, political candidate, mother of three, and all kinds of other interesting things. But what I learned from my last podcast with her, she introduced me to essentially eight laws of life, eight principles, if you will, sort of a, a life manual for people in her community. And so I'm really excited to be able to discuss with her these eight lessons. In the last session, we actually started with lesson eight, uh, forgiveness, and we're going to go through these one at a time. They are so interesting, fascinating, and important. So welcome, Michi Kwan. How are you today? Good morning. I'm great here in Kenora, Ontario. You know, I think it'd be, it'd be wonderful for people who haven't heard our previous discussions. If you could just take a minute to introduce yourself and uh, explain uh, how you got here today and what you're doing these days before we get into the meat of these lessons. Yes. Uh, good morning. So my English name is Janine Seymour. My spirit name is Mizukwan. I'm from the Bear Clan, and uh, I call home Wizhishkinigam Nation, and that is approximately five kilometers outside the city of Kenora um, in northwestern Ontario. And I can see that uh, there's a fantastic view as the, as the sun comes up there today, so it must be a wonderful place to live. It is. It's very... Um, magical out here so uh, i understand from our previous discussions that you sort of uh it, as a result of the covid thing you've kind of made that home base now is that correct that is correct and we're it's getting cold too so we're talking about winter and you know what would the plans be and i think i'm going to try to stay here for the winter by myself <laughs> In the woods, in the cabin. Well, I, th I think that worse things could happen for sure. All right. So let's uh, maybe begin with these are these eight lessons, if you will, these eight principles, the eight rules of life come from your First Nations community and are passed down, correct? Yes. Sort of from, from generation to generation. Yeah. And I definitely wouldn't say um, when people think community, they might think um, uh, geographical territorial lines. So um, jurisdiction, right? So they might be thinking of just my individual First Nation community. And uh, community in this context means a larger. Um, so the tribe, right? Uh, Anisanabi would be the tribe. So there are a lot of other tribes, um, Dakota, Lakota, Cree, right? Um, and this one is my tribe, my community there. So, so these lessons are specific to your tribe? Um, well, this they is where... They specifically come from your tribe. 
this well and yeah and forgiveness in particular <laughs> comes from a very uh not just my tribe but then that would be treaty number three the the Anishinaabe of treaty number three right um we're organized politically along governance lines and when we um at the time of treaty made uh covenants and compacts and treaties right with um settlers and uh new peoples that right there is defined us into this smaller nation right the anishinaabe in treaty three and so forgiveness in particular also stems right from us the anishinaabe in treaty three and that's fifty-five thousand square miles of people i would consider um in my community in that direct lineage so yeah that's uh, that's not not a small not a small area geographically, is it? Okay, so you say that forgiveness is the most important. Is that what I'm understanding? You? Forgiveness, definitely for me. Um, it's also um, so so these these teachings, right? Uh, were gifted to us for century, like very long periods of time. Um, forgiveness is very recent. It's contemporary. Um, and so the, the teachings that exist maybe in a printed form, right, um, with other nations, so other Indigenous nations, um, they'd only have the seven listed. That's very interesting. Yeah. So up here, I think um, in terms of documentation and, and you know, publications, about eight um, there's only one source that I've seen, and it's been the police, the Treaty Three Police. So that's the First Nation policing, mm -hmm. and they've documented and gone out to make sure, you know. So that's again very interesting. So that's where forgiveness comes in. Is is we're still building, right? We're still um, receiving guidance. So, so you say that this is is at least comparatively compared to the other ones new and that it's, it's specific to, or newer and that it's specific to, to your tribe. When was there sort of a general consciousness of forgiveness as one of these great teachings or principles? Um, so I, I believe, and, and this is somebody who's taught me um, and they've passed on, but we're spiritual beings having a, a human existence right there's there's another um so for example we have different teachings then with how we came to be here and uh with our with our parents and we actually believe that um we were told what our life was going to be like and receive this full message of understanding and we chose we chose it right no matter how hard the life is um struggles may be or how short the journey is. And so these are teachings that come um, to us, you know, during ceremonies and often they're um, leaving this, this life, this physical life and journeying onto the next, right? So these teachings um, that I'm speaking about come a lot in uh, death, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So the general consciousness would always be existing is my argument and it's whether or not you're tapped in to receive those those messages 
So, so they're there. They're always there, available for the taking, available for the interacting with, and it's sort of, uh, you know, you make it sound as though part of living a successful and valuable life is determined by the extent to which you tap into these teachings. Is that a fair statement? Um, I would say for my quality of life, yeah, it's been um, a lot better when you recognize the message that, that, you know, constantly receiving. So for me, forgiveness is, is one that I pick up on a lot. And I feel like this is my almost purpose calling to continue and to provide that education, right? Through so she, that. She, so. she's the importance of forgiveness. And that that's a teaching that exists. We're still here. Here's who did it. Connect you with the elders and the people who, you know, maybe if you didn't know or you're not taught in your family home, right? Because these are things that, frankly, now we have a lot of divisions uh, geographically, jurisdictionally, politically, right? Mm -hmm. Where we don't get, where these teachings are, are severed, right? Where this knowledge is only what would stay with limited families, core people, the ones who sit there at the influential meetings and those spaces, the ones who are privileged, you know what I mean? So Versus, do, you think, do you think that there's something about sort of the evolution into a more, you know, for all of humanity, all of humanity, right? You know, into a more modern life that has a tendency to sever people from these basic teachings, you know, whether they're the teachings of your tribe or religions or this, that, and the other thing. I mean, you know, sort of as goes the growth of government and regulation, so it diminishes people tapping into this stuff. Do you think that there's some merit to that? Yes, absolutely. Like when I read a lot of books at the time of contact um, from different uh, backgrounds, different settlers, and obviously English and French, right, are two very different extremes of um, populations at that early time. And all of them, um, you know, forge and, and at some point they must leave their, their country, right? They, they actively abandoned to choose whatever country they came from. Um, their religion, there's so much tension and division about which churches are being built and what's the priority of the population that's going to come and support this. So, yeah, like, look at Canada. It's a roadmap for how to sever that, right? I, I think it clearly is. I think it clearly is. So, you know, I mean, I, th I think that we, we agree that we're going to discuss these basic teachings i don't know that are they numbered from one to seven or do you have one that we could begin talking about today i mean i don't, I don't know if there is such a thing as order in a cumulative sense but i i thought about it i prayed about it and it's definitely love and it kind of falls like you said forgiveness made sense right um and love i think also equally makes sense too to start with let's share that sounds fantastic let's start with with love and uh, wow I mean I'm not sure what to ask should I ask what the role of that is in the teaching what it means which which would be the right question to ask to get this 
to explore this? Or if either of those questions is the right question to ask. Well, I'll ask you a question. How about that? What does sure. love mean to you? So we can see where we are, you know, with the concepts and that'll further the discussion. Sure. So when I say love, right, as, as a core principle, a teaching, a foundational, a, a law, right? What does that bring about for yourself? What does love mean to me? Well, I think it means a lot of things. Um, I, I think that, you know, we can, you know, we can talk about love of people. We could talk about uh, love of self. Specifically, we could talk about uh, love of ideas. Um, but, you know, what, what the, all of these things, the thread that seems to me to run through all of this stuff is uh, commitment, right? A, you know, a commitment to a person, an idea, or something which implies sticking with it or the person through thick and thin, I think. I mean, for me, I think that's what it is. I mean, it's certainly not, uh, uh, you know, the dazzling uh, momentary realization, oh, my God, what a beautiful woman, or something. It's certainly not that. Um, but I think, I, think the, the, I think a necessary condition or a necessary ingredient of love probably is commitment. I don't know. What do you think of that? Well, that goes to, um, you know, it's hard for us to believe when we live through really horrific realities of, of rape, incest, um, death, murder, you know, like we're not just statistics for people living in this, you know, First Nation community. And so when we think about that, that covenant, right, that pact that we made is on the spiritual side to enter this side. And that's where that commitment for me registers. It's like, oh, okay, we actually agreed <laughs> way over there that this was going to be something that we're going to do, you know, together. And um, love, right? Uh, there's so many aspects to that. The, the community love that you talked about and you said of ideas, but yeah, that's a community, you know, a shared um, and then obviously the self-love that's for me really key and important. So the teachings are interpreted for how you might particularly need. Um, and then the romantic love, right. And people see that as, or it's viewed in a mainstream as a, a two person forever kind of package. Um, yeah. Always happy. So, always happy. Yeah. And for for me, uh, I mean, I'll go there right now. But when you asked, how is that actively displacing? You know, how is that severing our family, our community, our social, our spiritual aspects? Right? Intentionally. Um, frankly, I see uh, a hyped up, <laughs> romantic, um, a reliance on that when really these were you know business transactions when wives and women had no social no role but there's a social order that exists right 
And so you have to marry within that class and you have to get, you know, a farmer to help with whatever. And then your kids are labor. Like this is all transactional. And, um, but we've been spoon fed something of this, this romantic mainstream savior above all costs through, you know, for us through very different universes and several existences <laughs> beforehand. Right. Um, and it's, it's, it's pretty consuming. So then how much of community love do you give out there? Right. Um, when you're on this, this hunt, um, that also doesn't, again, I think there's another reality that we're ignoring when, when women, um, do marry, frankly. I'll pause there. Well, that's a lot to take in for sure. Um, I mean, I, I do agree if I'm understanding properly what you're saying that a lot of these relationships be they marriage or you know many others are transactional uh, in the sense that regardless of what people may want to believe about many of them okay the simple fact is that uh, you know would I be, would you agree with me if I were to say that 150 years ago, or maybe even 100 years ago, that uh, marriage played a huge role in survival, marriage, family, that, you know, you created your own sort of, I mean, maybe a family. I mean, the connotation of family is this sort of, you know, together loving sort of thing, but maybe it's, uh, it's just a mini society, uh, you know, that's created for the purposes of survival. I mean, I think that that had to have been the case. Uh, and I mean, do we not see this in cultures with arranged marriages? Yeah, um, cultures that feel very insecure about their identity, their 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 self, right? Their their survival um, would pull like prioritize that uh religious lines um and and political divisions now too right uh so i also think though uh the war right if i can imagine families what they they look like then and how that person is is hope and and what what was uh, received on, on both sides of, of that. So I still see um, arguably during a pandemic and on this mass hysteria or whatever people are calling it, right? Of that, that hope that, that there is something, there's somebody, there's, you know, I'm going to live on through. You know, that is a really interesting I think accurate and important point. If I think about what is the most enduring human characteristic of all, I think hope would either be at or near the top of the list. Because that's the only thing that I think can keep people going through adversity, isn't it? That 
the hope, the expectation, the belief that something greater lies ahead. And, you know, I think about it from that perspective, that, that so often implies, you know, the help, the association, you know, with others, right? Whether it's a marital relationship or friends, you know, friends. Uh, and I think that, you know, maybe the, you know, the idea of the traditional family, I mean, you could say, sure, it's a community, the creation of your own community, but maybe it's also the creation of uh, a unit of hope. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's all kinds of, at least I, I believe, I've read there's all kinds of statistics that, uh, you know, older people who live alone die earlier, I think. Etc. So I mean, I, I'm I'm absolutely convinced that uh, the most of what determines where people go in life is is what's going on in their head and their emotional makeup. I mean, it's so easy to be negative and complain. It is so incredibly easy. Like anybody can do that, right? I mean, you know, what else have you got for me, right? Yeah. But I think it takes. Well, not an exceptional person by any means, but I think it takes a person with a certain awareness that it's just as easy to see the best in people as it is to see the worst. So why not see the best or in the situation? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. But how is this tied into the idea of, of love as a teaching? Are hope and love connected? So with the hope, you actually, um, there was an elder that I had heard that teaching from about hope and how our, our teachings and what we're talking about today, right? The eight of them. <clears throat> And how that is, it gives you hope, right? And and having our foundation of our spirituality and, and all that. And so, um, yeah, so you, you nailed that one. For, for me, um, hope and love, I see as a, I've come to see <laughs> as um, an opportunity, right? Like you said. And uh, almost a marketing, though, through it, that's been a CD kind of underlying where people then can't see other forms of love. And I see the community love as a, a top priority. Self-love obviously has to happen, right? That has to be centered. And this, this romantic, the survival love, if you want to call it that, um, right, that exists out there, it it is required. Uh, Gabor Mate speaks about authenticity and attachment and how we need those two things. And I think of attachment as how we're able to interact. So I, I look at older people and elderly people and in our societies, we had built in things where they would keep 
interaction. They would keep talking. They would keep knowing the next generation. There'd be no separation of you're old, you're over there. (laughs) And so to keep your brain going and everything, and we would live a long time pre-contact, like um, elders here uh, in their seventies and eighties, right? Their parents lived to 130. Oh my God. This was our standard. So when we're dying at eight years old and they're comparing us to, you know, a seven-year-old white man who lives his full life, I'm like, no, compare us to 130-year-olds because that's how long we lived. We had a quality of life, right, Um, that was immeasurable in terms of how do you quantify, (laughs) you know, that. So um, love for me is is a foundational it's the driving force it's uh stepping into that right and and that actionable and leaving behind fear because fear is what um drives motivates a lot of people to do anything in in a society right in this society this over once let's call it one society we all exist in here right now right and it's fear-based so love for me is, is the counter when you are authentically standing in your, what you know to be true, right? And, and the power behind that, that weight behind that. Um, and so Gabor Mate with his attachment and authenticity, that's when he talked about, we need to be, we're in, we need to be interacting. We're social beings, we're creatures. We need that attachment. Um, but also don't give up your, your authenticity, right? Because you also need to be true to your calling, your inside. So pause there. Okay. All right. So what I'm, I think I'm hearing you say, at least in part, uh, would be, is this a fair statement that love is the antidote or an, an antidote to fear? For me, it is. Because I'm only speaking about how... Like, I will talk more how this um, relates from what I learned. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, that makes sense. Uh, And could I go suggest a further step that, you know, going back to forgiveness, that would forgiveness be often a necessary condition for love? For me, <laughs> I found I found that um, helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, almost as though it's almost as though you know, in this world, love is difficult. It's not the default. Okay, for sure. You know, it's. I suppose something you have to work at and it's i've seen this in so many areas that fear is i think the the single biggest inhibitor to quality of life uh you know in so many different areas so it makes me wonder psychologically maybe people are just so conditioned from all of this, they feel they need permission to love. Permission to move beyond fear 
but essentially imprisons people, right? Mm -hmm. Immobilizes. Yeah, immobilizes. Yeah. So you know, clearly, clearly, all these things are related. But how did you? Um, how did you get so smart? Um. So you did ask if forgiveness was a prerequisite. And for me, it was, uh, I think the biggest thing I, I healed through was actually caring for my father. Um, he died of cirrhosis at 50. And so there was two years of hospitals, comas, and basically dying and coming from being brought to life constantly. Right. Mm -hmm. And I did birth um, his grandson during that time as well. But if you remember, he was my uh, sexual um, abuser too, right? As a young girl. And so for me, it was stepping into that love, right? To really understand forgiveness fully. Because um, until you've cared for your abuser at an end of life, <laughs> you really can't fully, you know, understand forgiveness or love, right? Because what I did was out of love. Um, completely. And it had to be, it had to be not of obligation or um, expectations or, you know, anything like that. So frankly, living through a lot of traumatic experiences and understanding them has provided me <laughs> wisdom. And it's been a shared uh, trauma as well, meaning the whole community, right, has been impacted. And so there are a lot of people that I can interact with. Often they're elders, um, but I try to really uh, stay close to the ground, stay close to the people. And frankly, the young ones, like my children and, and all of them teach me so much. I think that we've collectively, you know, tell them other things along their journey, but they come here in this pure little path ready to fulfill their their life purpose and we're like no you need to go to school get a job go do this right and just beat them down so the more that we're open to listening to you know them i think the further we'll get listening is a very difficult thing for people to do okay So if there is, if it's even possible to summarize some of this thinking, um, so we identify fear as, you know, as a huge motivator. I mean, it always has been, it always will be. So I don't think you can ever get rid of the conditions that create fear. But I suppose you could recognize that, you know, when you are being driven primarily based on fear and maybe say, well, you know, maybe that's not the best, uh, the, the best headspace to be in to be making decisions, right, or to respond to something. Fear is so all-consuming. Mm -hmm. You know, it's so terrifying and so all-consuming that it seems to me that fear is the great blocker, right? The thing that it's almost the wall. It's a wall of fear that 
presumptively makes things like love and forgiveness so difficult, right? Mm -hmm. So what I'm getting from listening to you talk about this is that love is because it's a because it's it's a giving thing i mean i suppose you can only give i suppose you're only i think this is true you're only able to give if you're able to break down that wall of fear that you know prevents you from doing anything right it's so tricky there's an elder um garden river so again our, our area right extends and he said uh love you have to give it to get it right mm -hmm. and so keep giving it so valentine's day there were so many teachings about the community love and love your elders and we actually have different ways of saying love there's a different word for romantic love there's a different love between me and my children there's a different love we acknowledge so many forms of love in our words right it's not one and here's flowers on february 14th with red everywhere <laughs> the marketing right that's not what love but, is that, that's not. so interesting because in the english language i think i'm right in saying the word love is very broad and covers many different contexts but what you're saying is that in your language you have a number of different words for love depending on the context is that right it's relational, yes. Well, that, yeah, and language is so is so key, you know, to being able to understand concepts that you would think that you'd have a huge head start in being able to appreciate and understand a you know such a complicated concept as love with so many different descriptive words, right? And you know, going then over to the to the forgiveness. Um, it also seems to me that that forgiveness probably is important to be able to express or appreciate certain kinds of love. You know, as, as you've you know so aptly demonstrated in your your discussion about your father. Absolutely, and um, you know, something where I get stuck on is say say in romantic love, right? is the more typical and people have issues in in that but um you know love and light right like you require this this beautiful thing but there's also a darkness you know um that that comes with it and i think people don't acknowledge that either it's not just blinding bright beautiful constant 24 7 <laughs> you know light shining down there's really are you, kidding me? Are you sure of that yeah, that's where, yeah, the, the power, the beauty of forgiveness and the other ones, you know, to step into that, to be reminded of that love, that foundational, that core, that driving, that, you know, at your, you know, core being. Yeah, you know, I you suspect that the length of romantic love is directly correlated to one's ability to forgive. Hmm. Yeah. And forgiveness doesn't mean forgetting. <laughs> There's so many, yeah. But you you need to forgive. You got to. It's just healing. Yeah. God, this is interesting. This is interesting. All right. Well, okay, so we've done forgiveness, or rather we've not finished with it, but we have identified and explored the concept of forgiveness. We have identified 
and sort of begun to explore the concept of love, whatever it is. And, uh, you know, I think maybe I invite you to add any footnotes, whatever punctuating points you'd like, and then we'll, we'll pick it up with the next lesson. Okay. Um, I think for me, um, and something I struggled with in this, like I said, you hammer down the children. Yeah, it happened with me too. But I think what I've struggled with predominantly has just been saying it, saying, I love you. Right. You're and, saying that. Oh, absolutely. I, I definitely struggled and it impacted my romantic relationships and my ability to meet people, you know, in that way. Um, but once you started saying it, once you started giving voice to it, it was the most freeing thing ever. <laughs> Just the power of saying that I love you. Right. And to mean that. And I know now when I'm still learning through the self-love exploration and trying to make sure that I stand on my own, um, very solid, very independent, but being in love, right? That's, that's very different. I love you. Like to say that to my ex-husbands, <laughs> to say that to my ex-husband's new wife, to say that to you, right? Like it was challenging to say that to a family member I hadn't spoken to in 20 years, right? Um, all those things are, are super difficult, but just give voice to it. Just say, I love you. And um, a teaching that somebody uh, in my family was given from an elder about how to forgive, right? Because those, those are really hard things that we live through when we go through the divorces and the family breakdowns and everything. And how do you, how do you forgive? And they actually said, you have to go and pray every day for the next 20 days and, and pray for that person, not, oh, save their soul. If you're thinking that for praying, it's actually, I want you to have everything. I want you like, and visualize that person and and all their financial dreams and like all everything, right? And even if you just say the words and don't mean it, by by the twenty day exercise, like yeah, you're you're well on your way <laughs> to learning what that forgiveness is, you know, and healing those those parts of you to not carry that further. So love and saying I love you is powerful. Voice the words. Very, very interesting. And, and so hard in a, a general uh, conflict-based legal system, right, and, and society. You know, as, as a lawyer, you certainly would, I presume, agree with that assessment of it. It's hard to say I love you to some other uh, lawyers that I'm against. Like, yes, right? <laughs> might not feel it in that moment. <laughs> but yes all right well this has been fantastic and i thank you for this as always and look forward to the next one and i am speaking david michiquan uh who is an amazingly talented celebrated individual and we'll pick it up next time thank you i love you <laughs> thank you